This audio is presented by Hacker Noon, where anyone can learn anything about any technology. A Criticism of Christianity, by H.G. Wells, First and Last Things by H.G. Wells, is part of the Hacker Noon book series. You can jump to any chapter in this book here. A Criticism of C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-I-T-Y-A Criticism of Christianity. Dot. And here perhaps, before I go on to the question of conduct, is the place to define a relationship to that system of faith and religious observance out of which I and most of my readers have come. How do these beliefs on which I base my rule of conduct stand to Christianity? They do not stand in any attitude of antagonism. A religious system so many-faced and so enduring as Christianity must necessarily be saturated with truth even if it be not wholly true. To assume, as the atheist and deist seem toto, that Christianity is a sort of disease that came upon civilization, an unprofitable and wasting disease, is to deny that conception of a progressive scheme and rightness which we have taken as our basis of belief. As I have already confessed, the scheme of salvation, the idea of a process of sorrow and atonement, presents itself to me as adequately true. So far I do not think my new faith breaks with my old. But it follows as a natural consequence of my metaphysical preliminaries that I should find the Christian theology Aristotelian, over-defined and excessively personified. The painted figure of that bearded ancient upon the Sistine Chapel, or William Blake's wild-haired, wild-eyed trinity, convey no nearer sense of God to me than some mother-of-pearl-eyed painted and carven monster from the worship of the South Sea Islanders. And the Miltonic fable of the offended creator and the sacrificial son. It cannot span the circle of my ideas, it is a little thing, and nonetheless little because it is intimate, flesh of my flesh and spirit of my spirit, like the drawings of my youngest boy. I put it aside as I would put aside the gay figure of a costumed officiating priest. The passage of time has made his canonicals too strange, too unlike my world of common thought and costume. These things helped, but now they hinder and disturb, I cannot bring myself back to them. Dot. Dot. But the psychological experience and the theology of Christianity are only a groundwork for its essential feature, which is the conception of a relationship of the individual believer to a mystical being at once human and divine, the risen Christ. This being presents itself to the modern consciousness as a familiar and beautiful figure, associated with a series of sayings and incidents that coalesce with a very distinct and rounded off and complete effect of personality. After we have cleared off all the definitions of theology, heromains, mystically suffering for humanity, mystically asserting that love in pain and sacrifice in service are the necessary substance of salvation. Whether he actually existed as a finite individual person in the opening of the Christian era seems to me a question entirely beside the mark. The evidence at this distance is of imperceptible force for or against. The Christ we know Iskeet evidently something different from any finite person, a figure, a conception, a synthesis of emotions, experiences and inspirations, sustained by and sustaining millions of human souls. Now it seems to be the common teaching of almost all Christians, that salvation, that is to say the consolidation and amplification of one's motives through the conception of a general scheme or purpose, is to be attained through the personality of Christ. Christ is made cardinal to the act of faith. The act of faith, they assert, is not simply, as I hold it to be, belief, but belief I-N-H-I-M. We are dealing here, be it remembered, with beliefs deliberately undertaken and not with questions of fact. The only matters of fact material here are facts of experience. If in your experience salvation is attainable through Christ, the end certainly Christianity is true for you. And if a Christian asserts that my belief is a false light and that presently I shall come to Christ, I cannot disprove his assertion. I can but disbelieve it. I hesitate even to make the obvious retort. 
I hope I shall offend no susceptibilities when I assert that this great and very definite personality in the hearts and imaginations of mankind does not and never has attracted me. It is a fact I record about myself without aggression or regret. I do not find myself able to associate him in any way with the emotion of salvation. I admit the splendid imaginative appeal in the idea of a divine human friend and mediator. If it were possible to have access by prayer, by meditation, by urgent outcries of the soul, to such a being whose feet were in the darknesses, who stooped down from the light, who was at once great and little, limitless in power and virtue and one's very brother, if it were possible by sheer will in believing to make and make one's way to such a helper, who would refuse such help. But I do not find such a being in Christ. I do not find, I cannot imagine, such a being. I wish I could. To me the Christian Christ seems not so much a humanized God as an incomprehensibly sinless being neither God nor man. Hissenlessness wears his incarnation like a fancy dress, all his white self unchanged. He had no petty weaknesses. Now the essential trouble of my life is its petty weaknesses. If I am to have that love, that sense of understanding fellowship, which is, I conceive, the peculiar magic and merit of this idea of a personal savior, then I need someone quite other than this image of virtue, this terrible and incomprehensible Galilean with his crown of thorns, his blood-stained hands and feet. I cannot love him any more than I can love a man upon the rack. Even in the face of torments I do not think I should feel a need for him. I had rather than a hundred times have Botticelli's armed angel in his Tobit at Florence. I hope Ido not seem to want to shock in writing these things, but indeed my only aim is to lay my feelings bare. I know what love for an idealized person can be. It happens that in my younger days I found a character in the history of literature who had a singular and extraordinary charm for me, of whom the thought wastender and comforting, who indeed helped me through shames and humiliations as thought he held my hand. This person was Oliver Goldsmith. His blunders and troubles, his vices and vanities, seized and still hold my imagination. The slights of Boswell, the contempt of Gibbon and all his company save Johnson, the exquisite fineness of spirit in his Vicar of Wakefield, and that green suit of his in the doctor's cane and the love despised. These things together made him a congenial saint and hero for me, so that I thought of him as others pray. When I think of that youthful feeling for Goldsmith, I know what I need in a personal savior, as a troglodyte who has seen a candle can imagine the sun. But the Christian Christ in none of his three characteristic phases, neither as the magic babe, from whom I am cut off by the wanton and indecent purity of the Immaculate Conception, nor as the white-robed, spotless miracle-worker, nor as the fierce unreal torment of the cross, comes close to my soul. I do not understand the agony in the garden, to me it is like a scene from a play in an unknown tongue. The Lati cry of despair is the one human touch, discordant with all the rest of the story. One cry of despair does not suffice. The Christian Christ is too fine for me, not incarnate enough not flesh enough, not earth enough. He was never foolish and hot-eared and inarticulate, never vain, he never forgot things, nor tangled his miracles. I could love him I think more easily if the dead had not risen and if he had lain in peace in his sepulchre instead of coming back more enhaloed and whiter than ever, as a postscript to his own tragedy. When I think of the resurrection I am always reminded of the happy endings that editors and actor-managers are accustomed to impose upon essentially tragic novels and plays. Dot. Dot. You see how I stand in this matter, puzzled and confused by the Christian presentation of Christ. I know there are many will answer, as I suppose my friend the Reverend R.J. Campbell would answer, that what confuses me is the overlaying of the personality of Jesus by stories and superstitions and conflicting symbols. He will in effect ask me to disentangle the Christ I need from the accumulated material, 
choosing and rejecting. Perhaps one may do that. He does, I know, so present him as a man inspired, and strenuously, inadequately and erringly presenting a dream of human brotherhood and the immediate kingdom of heaven on earth and so blundering to his failure and death. But that will be a recovered and restored person he would give me, and not the Christ the Christians worship and declare they love, in whom they find their salvation. When I write, declare they love, I throw doubt intentionally upon the universal love of Christians for their Savior. I have watched men and nations in this matter. I am struck by the fact that so many Christians fall back upon more humanized figures, upon the tender figure of Mary, upon patron saints and such more erring creatures, for the effect of mediation and sympathy they need. You see it comes to this, that I think Christianity has been true and is for countless people practically true, but that it is not true now for me, and that for most people it is true only with modifications. Every believing Christianis, I am sure, my spiritual brother, but if systematically I called myself a Christian I feel that to most men I should imply too much and so tell a lie. About Hacker Noon book series. We bring you the most important technical, scientific, and insightful public domain books. This book is part of the public domain. H.G. Wells, 2009. First and Last Things. A Confession of Faith and Rule of Life. Urbana, Illinois. Project Gutenberg. Retrieved October 2022, https://www.gutenberg.org. Files, 4225-4225-H, 4225-H. HTM This ebook is for the use of anyone anywhere at no cost and with almost no restrictions whatsoever. You may copy it, give it away or reuse it under the terms of the Project Gutenberg license included with this ebook or online at www. Gutenberg, org, located at https colon slash slash www, Gutenberg, org, policy, license, html, thank you for listening to this Hackernoon story, read by artificial intelligence, visit hackernoon.com to read, write, learn and publish, dot.